Well, at this point, it's probably time to address the potter in the room. Uh, this is my friend Mike over here, and uh, we're going to kind of pull an Oprah moment. We wanted to have handmade coffee mugs for everybody, so everyone can ask him. If you see some of the, the cups over here, uh, you can see why some of the, the gals who are, are very affectionate when it comes to coffee have been duking out to claim who gets the bigger umskin. Um, so we've been in the middle of this series called Lump, and the, the inspiration for this series really came from Jeremiah 18, and you heard that read here when we started our gathering, uh, where basically God calls the prophet Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house and watch. And so go, go watch what the potter's doing and, and just see what he does. It doesn't give us a time frame how long he stood there and watched, but if, if he would have spent uh, even just an hour with him, you could see all the different things that you've seen Mike do here this morning, if you've been able to see. And then God says, the clay is like Israel, and I am the potter, and, and, and can I not do with Israel as, as the potter does with the clay? We've been talking about how uh, there's this lump of clay that you begin with, soft and pliable, and, and this is really kind of the, the beginning steps and even before you get this lump, this is something that Mike has already worked this, and, and it's called wedging, but you're in essence needing all the air out of it, because if you leave any of that air in the clay, when you go to fire, the, the, the impurities, the air pockets will, will expand and explode, and not only destroy what, you, what, what has been made, but many times all the stuff around it will be destroyed or damaged in the process. And so this, this series we've been going through is saying, hey, we want to be like this lump of clay. This combination of, of, of dirt and water, uh, and obviously take the, the analogy a step further, God has breathed life into us. We see that in the story of creation that God made mankind out of the dirt of the ground and, and, and formed us together and breathed his very breath into us. And so we're like this lump of clay, just like Israel, the people of God, and God forms us and shapes us as he desires. So we're this lump, Jeremiah 18, 6, like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. And so when we follow Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, Jesus, I believe you are Savior, I believe you are God. You are my Lord and my Savior. When we take that step, we, we receive our inheritance as children of God. We're referred to as saints. We're forgiven of our sin. And every day as we follow him, we should strive to keep a soft heart because uh, we should look to the potter and say, well, what is your purpose for me? What would you have me be? Because who ultimately decides what the lump becomes? Is it the lump or is it the potter? Well, if you've been able to see what Mike's doing up here, you see it's the potter that decides what that lump will become. It's the potter that, that gives that lump purpose and meaning. So then, as Mike has been working um, you used to go from that lump and then you, you center on the board. You want this one here to take the next step? No? Okay. Uh, to center on the board and, and uh, really get it to where as it's spinning, it stays in the immediate center. Then you begin to kind of push that middle down and, and pull up the sides to really create uh, whatever the vessel will become. But the clay doesn't always cooperate. If we play this analogy out and put our own lives in the picture of the clay, we can see, yes, we don't always cooperate with what God would have for us. And so the potter can form us into this vessel. But sometimes there's, whether it's impurity in our life or other things, um, we, can, we can fight against what God is doing. We can be a stubborn people. And sometimes what happens is we just have a hardness of heart, Right? 
And there's all kinds of things that can cause that hardness of heart. Sometimes it's stories that if we all heard, we'd all be shedding tears and we'd be right there with you and say, I can understand how your heart has grown hard because of that. Maybe there's a tragedy you've gone through. Maybe there's a significant loss. Maybe just every time, you know, something else. I think we all have those people that come to mind in our life where you just feel like, man, they just can't get ahead. You know, one person's sick and then they're going through that and then someone else is sick. I mean, it's something after something after something just keeps beating them down. I can understand how that would move someone to have maybe a hard heart towards God and say, God, where are you in all of this? Maybe you have that one unanswered question. Hey, God, unless you can help me figure this out, I, I just cannot be moldable and soft and pliable in your hands. And, and as we kind of resist some of that, you know, we fight the hands of the potter, and all of a sudden the pot begins to kind of deform a little bit. And it's marred. In my own life, I kind of walked this road. I grew up in the Lutheran church and um, learned some awesome things about the gospel, about Jesus. And, um, but I, ultimately, I left the Lutheran church not truly understanding what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And for a while there, I, I blamed the church. And I don't know, you know I, I got to assume some responsibility in that. Uh, where I stand today, I'm sure it was, you know, some of what was going on there, but also some of my own hardness of heart. But for a long time, because... I had this picture in my head where I'm like, well, I was in the church and I didn't find Jesus until after I left the church. I really kind of wrote the church off for a long while. Got in a sense of humor. Um, the next girl I started to date was a pastor's daughter. And I figured, well, if I'm going to date her, I should probably go to her dad's church. And so I kind of began my journey back into the church. Um, but I, I had a hard heart. I was, I was resisting the hands of the potter and, and said, no, I, I want to go this way. I want to be this kind of shape. So maybe that's where you're at. You have a hardness of heart. Maybe it's trust issues. Maybe you're all, you know, hey, I'm walking with you, Jesus. Maybe you're not, but you learn something about God and you're like, I, I don't like that. You want me to go this way, but I, you know, I want to go that way. Mike knew I was going to do this, so don't, don't feel too bad, okay? You can a little bit because it's pretty awesome. He, he did all those. did an awesome job, but um, I got permission to ruin this. Um, so it's a trust issue. You learn something about God and you say, okay, Maybe you can even get to the point where you would see a truth about God and, and you would even share it with others. Say, yes, this is what I believe to be true about God, but I can't embrace it in my own life yet because I have trust issues. I don't know if God truly has my best interest at heart. Or I don't really know if, even though I see this truth, if that's right for me. Sometimes this can be small, little things. Other times there can be ways we view the world, ways we've lived. There can be ways that we've identified ourselves as individuals. And then all of a sudden we begin to understand who God is and what he calls us to. And we begin to see, man, there may be something completely different. There may, may be uh, something in my life that God has called me to completely abandon and change. And I don't like that. And I, I want to resist that. And I fight against that. And the vessel becomes marred because of my trust issues. So sometimes we have a hardness of heart because of you know, different experiences or things that we can't really just fully grasp. Or maybe um, you know, we, we have these other struggles. Sometimes we're just flat out rebellious. They're like, you want me to go this way? I want to go that way. You want me to go this way? I want to go this way. Look at that. That's what I want to be. No, that's not what I want to be. Man, I messed that up. But it's too late. And we have this rebellious heart. Man, I, I, if you have kids or have little ones in your life, man, you, you know this picture. Um, I, I knew this picture with having my first kid, but it was my third kid that really painted this picture for me. Um, he, uh, there's this lamp in our house that he loves to go over to the lamp. It's like one of those tall stick ones, and he just grabs the pole and wants to start shaking it. 
It's not a big deal. I mean, it's, it's an LED now, so it's not going to break anything all that bad. But um, oftentimes, you know, the bugs get up in there, and then they be flaming. We don't want them shaking the lamp. And he'll go in and start shaking this lamp. I'll say, Eli, Eli, knock it off. No, I'll be across the room. Stop this. And he's looking right at me. He lets go for a second. And then he goes right back to it. And he starts shaking again. I'm like, Eli, knock it off. And the second I take a step towards him, you would think what? He repents, like, oh, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm, I'm wrong. I'm not going to do it. No, no, no. His rebellious heart kicks into overdrive, and he shakes the snot out of that lamp all that much faster, as much as he can get out until I get right within reach, and then he lets go and books it. Because he's got a rebellious heart. He doesn't want to fall under the authority of his father. And sometimes that's what causes us to spoil the vessel of what God is making. And what at one point had purpose and function and form, now is all marred and spoiled. And we can try to kind of undo that and say, well, maybe, maybe I can put it back. Oh, I just, I tore that, but no, maybe I gotta, I gotta fix this before the potter comes back. And no matter what we do, we, we see that it's broken. And I was talking with Mike about this and about making uh, uh, things out of clay. And he, he had this insight I thought was pretty awesome, was worth sharing. Just depending on how far we mar something, depending on how far it's spoiled, dictates what stage of the process we have to go back to. So if it's only a little bit, he can form that back and, and, and put the potter's hands back around it. Or if I get a hold of it, you have to start back with square one. And, and, but the beautiful thing is this. I can give this to Mike, and I'm going to do just that. I'm going to give it to Mike, and, and he can still do something with that. There's still a possibility. <laughs> There's still options for what I've given him. And I wonder if Jeremiah would have seen that as well. I wonder if he stayed around long enough to see something, fight the hands of the potter, and then see what the potter would do with it. And you're going to see it as we continue on what Mike does with that. And he goes back to the first step, which is wedging it, which is kneading it together and working all those air pockets out. Now, in this particular case, if he was going to make something that had to be reformed and rekilned, it would be probably a long time of wedging because I, I just put a whole bunch of air pockets in that that he needs to work out right now. You're welcome, Mike. Um, but you'll see this is kind of reworking it back together. And when I think on that, man, there's a beautiful truth being illustrated in that. Even when we begin to unpack Jeremiah 18 uh, and find out that basically this wasn't just one of those beautiful pictures of, look, look how I'm forming you. God is using this illustration to say, here's my people who are being disobedient. But no, I'm going to do with them as I please because I'm the potter. And so there was this, there's a, hey, they're being disobedient. There, there's this negative connotation to this, but there was a, a, a hopeful truth in that. And, and the hopeful piece is that when that clay is all marred and spoiled, it can still be reworked, re-softened, put back in the hands of the potter, and remade. The clay is not removed and tossed aside, the clay is remade. Now, if that clay represents our lives, that is an amazing, beautiful truth of God right there, people. God does not throw us aside when we fail. God does not toss us aside when we have a hard heart towards him, when we're rebellious towards him. God does not give up on us. But when we come to him with a soft heart and respond to the hands of the potter, he can remake us back into a vessel with purpose, form, and function. I mean, that, that right there, for me, that, that's the beauty of the potter's wheel, that we're not removed, but that we are remade. Now, I want you to see, it's not always easy. 
I mean, there's some fighting that goes on between the, the potter and, and the clay as he works out all those impurities, as it's re-centered, as it's reshaped back to being able to become all of a sudden this beautiful vessel. But when we trust in Jesus for salvation, it's like going to God and saying, hey, I'm, I'm this soft clay. Mold me and, and work me into a vessel with purpose. And he begins a work that will continue in us to completion. If you have Bibles, you can turn here, but we're actually going to be somewhere else here in a bit, so it'll be on the screen as well. But Philippians 1 verse 6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So this work that started in us, when we responded to the good news of Jesus, we responded to the fact that when we trust in Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross, the fact that he laid his life down on the cross, he paid the price for our sins so that when we trust in him, our sins are forgiven. But he was more than just a sacrificial lamb, but he was God incarnate. And one of the ways we can know that is in his own resurrection, that he overcame death, rose again. So he's not just Savior, but he is our Lord, the leader of our life. And when we surrender our lives, say, I'm this lump of soft, pliable clay. Mold me and shape me as you want. Be my authority. Fight against my rebellious heart, God, because I know you have what's best. I, I want to trust in you. I, I want to soften these hard spots in my heart. There's this promise that that work that started will be brought through to completion. I, I want to show you a picture of that. We have this beautiful picture in John 21 of a follower of Jesus who, who has been made into this vessel to be used by God, and then he mars it. He spoils it. But then he has an interaction with Jesus where he's remade and reinstated and restored. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John uh, chapter 21. John chapter 21. As we look at this, I, I want you to see that it's a process. This is why we always say here at Meadowland that life is a journey. Life is a journey. Or we ask questions like, what's your next step? Because we, we know and understand that it's a process. But the story we're going to look at here in, in 21, some, some background. Um, so Jesus having his final meal was referred to as the Last Supper. It would be a Passover meal, and there's all kinds of different things that happen in that moment. Uh, one of which uh, is he says, uh, you know, one of you is going to deny me. And, and Peter comes to him and says, I, I'm not going to deny you. No, 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 it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. And so he's finished this meal, and then he goes, and the, the, the journey to the cross begins, and he's betrayed by Judas, and he goes through all these false trials. He's beaten and ends up on the cross and lays, up, lays down his life, giving it up as a, as a payment for our sins. But on the road to the cross, there comes this point where Peter, one of his disciples, is watching from afar. So Jesus has been uh, captured and he's going through his false trials and Peter's kind of in the crowd. And all of a sudden, this, this little girl who, who's in the crowd, this young teenage girl most likely, says, hey, don't I recognize you? Aren't, aren't you one of them, referring to the disciples? Aren't you with him, Jesus? Nope, nope, not me. No, no, I'm pretty sure. I, I got a thing for faces. I, I, think, I think yours is, is, you were with him, right? Nope, nope, not me. Three times. She says, I, aren't you with Jesus? And every time, Peter denies it. Nope, nope, I, I don't want to be affiliated with him right now. And he runs off full of grief and tears as he realizes what he'd done. He just marred this vessel. He was, he was when God called him, he said, I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. Peter used to be a fisherman. 
He said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. All this time growing together, following after Jesus. Then here he spoils the vessel. Let's pick up here in John chapter 21, verse 1. After this, referring to um, Jesus already resurrected at this point, he's already begun to uh, reveal himself to the disciples. And we see that happen a couple different times with, with many different people. So after this, Jesus re- revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the, the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And so some would say, hey, they're going back to what they know. Jesus is dead, and, but he's resurrected. I don't think it's just, I think they're not really quite sure what to do yet because Jesus has revealed himself already. And so they know he's not dead, he resurrected. But they're still trying to figure out, hey, I, I'm not quite sure what to make of this. And so whether they're going back to what they know or they're just saying, hey, you know what? Fishing helps me clear my mind. Whatever it is, they go fishing, and yet they caught nothing. So no catching, just fishing. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? I love when Jesus asks asks us a question, because he already knows the answer. But he invites us to engage with him, to be in conversation, in relationship with him. Do you have any fish, guys? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast a net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they said, which one? My right or your right? No, I'm just kidding. So they cast it, and now they were, and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. I mean, you got to love Peter's heart. He is just, he, he's all, all full speed ahead. So he was in a, you know, kind of stripped down a little bit, getting ready. You know, all, all the work they've been doing, pulling in these nets, but they kept being empty. And then all of a sudden he finds out that this Jesus on the shore, he actually gets dressed to jump in the lake. If you've seen uh, Forrest Gump, this is one of those Lieutenant Dan moments uh, where Forrest is on his boat. Lieutenant Dan comes to join him in his endeavors of shrimping. And, and so Forrest just jumps off the boat as it's going through port. And he says, Lieutenant Dan, he swims all the way to shore. And he gets to the shore. He says, there's my boat as it's crashing into the shore in the dock. That's Peter. He, he doesn't care about all that stuff. He just jumps right in the water. We find out as we continue to read in the text that there are 153 large fish in this net. I don't know why it tells us how many there were except for the fact to say, look how amazing God is. Not only to tell them where the fish were, he knew exactly how many they were going to catch in their net. So there's 153 fish, and they're trying to pull this back in. Meanwhile, Peter's doing the breaststroke all the way to shore. And he shows up on the shore, and there's Jesus with the campfire. And he's got all laid out, and he's got fish cooking over the fire. And I love that he had fish ready. It reminds me that we're invited to participate with the mission of God, but we're not needed. And that may sound harsh to you. Is that the first time you've heard that? That may sound kind of harsh to me. I'm not needed by God. We're not. Jesus' plan was to come have breakfast with his disciples who were out fishing and who caught nothing. Okay, guys, here's some fish for you. But he doesn't wait for them to come in and and use some of that fish. They show up and he's already got fish on on the grill. It's a reminder that he doesn't need us. But the joy and the truth is that he wants us. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing. Come gather around me. Have some breakfast. 
Let's jump to verse 15 here. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him. Now, this, these, we're not quite sure. There's all kinds of theories what he's referring to. It's just saying, do you love me more than you know, all this that you see around me? You've got the fish, you've got the fire, you've got the fish, and do you love me more than these things? I think probably a better understanding of what he's trying to say is you know, there's other disciples with him. Say, do you, do you love me more than these guys around you? Now, part of that was because when Jesus said that, that one of you would betray me, Peter was the first one to pop up and say, it's not going to be me. Nope, nope. In essence saying, I mean, maybe one of these suckers here, but not, not going to be me. I, I wouldn't do that. And so I think there's a, some truth in this. Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. It's clear the heart of the question he's asking him here is, do you love me? Do you love me? Imagine the one person in your life that you're closest to. Who, who's that person that you would take a bullet for? I, mean, I don't know if you've been in a situation where, where there's been the life on the line, but where, where you'd be willing to jump in front of danger for that person. You'd be willing to sacrifice everything for that person. But this is the role that Peter was, or that Jesus was in Peter's life. And yet, when he was asked, are, are you with him during his trial and execution? He denied even knowing him. But the questions that Jesus is asking, he's making a very clear connection between Peter's past and his present. See, this is not the first time that Peter has been outfished by Jesus. When Jesus first called Peter to come be, be fishers of men, basically it was a similar scenario where the guys are out fishing and they're not catching anything. So Jesus says, well, have you tried over here? And they said, what the heck? We'll give you a shot. And so they try where Jesus tells them to go fishing and they have all these massive catches and the nets are breaking. It's, it's so huge. And so you got to wonder if Peter remembered that. Because what's significant about that moment is that's when Peter is called to come follow Jesus. And it's almost his initial steps of being given purpose in life, going from being a fisher of fishies to a fisher of men, of people. That's where he would follow after his rabbi, his Messiah, Jesus. I don't think that was lost on Peter. I think he's thinking about those first moments where Jesus called him. It's interesting that Jesus uses the Simon's first name. Not first name versus last name, but first name that, that he had until Jesus gave him a new one. Simon's name was originally Simon. And after engaging with Jesus, Jesus says, you'll be now known as Peter. Peter translates as rock. He, he's almost prophesying, hey, here's who you're going to be. Here's who I'm making you to be. But now he's calling him Simon. Well, why, why would he call me Simon? I think Jesus wants him to be thinking about those beginning days. And there's a contrast here where, where Simon almost represents his old way of life before Jesus. And Peter is this new name, uh, this new way of living. And so, yes, it's, Jesus is making a very clear connection here between Peter's past and his present. Let's jump to verse 17. This is the third time. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And it's three times as significant, I believe, because we said Jesus denied, or that Peter denied Jesus three times. 
And again, I don't think that was lost on Peter. I think we can see that in the fact of his response that this third time it's asked, it's almost like the light bulb goes on and Peter is grieved. Okay, I see what you're asking here, Jesus. What else is interesting, if you're familiar with, with Greek, there, there's multiple words here you can use for love. And the first two times when Jesus says, do you love me, he uses the word agape, which is referring to an unconditional love, a, a godly love. An all-encompassing love. Saying, do you agape love me? And Peter's response is, the first, actually all three times, uses the word based off of phileo, a brotherly love, a friendship love. He says, yes, you know that I phileo, that I love you as a brother. Jesus says, second time, do you agape love? Do you unconditionally love me? Peter says, yes, you know that I love you as a brother. The third time, Jesus says, do you phileo? Do you love me? As a brother. What's interesting about that is I look at that person. One, I think Peter is learning to be a little more cautious with his words. He, he remembers that he was all in and, and then he failed. And so he's trying to say, well, I, I don't know. My, my circumstances, my actions wouldn't necessarily show that. So I, I love you as a brother. Every way that I know how I love you. I failed at the unconditional though. And I think Jesus is meeting him where he's at. That's why I think the third time he says, do you love me using phileo? He's meeting him where he's at because, see, some of the best lessons in life come when we spoil it. They're not fun, they're not encouraged, but we come to these moments where we spoil something in life. We, we, we mess up, big or small. Sometimes those are the best lessons. I mean, Peter is seeing this played out as he's seeing Jesus connecting with him where he's at currently. My prayer is that we can learn from these spoils of those who came before us. This is something that we naturally do. Think about it. You ever done that where you have some food that, that you're not unsure of and it smells a little funky or tastes a little funky? What's the first thing you do? Here, smell this. Here, try this. I mean, maybe even say, this tastes terrible. Try it. We want to share our own. So, hey, hopefully we can learn before we try. If you're familiar with WD-40, maybe you know what, what the WD stands for. It was invented by Norman Larson, and the WD stands for water displacement. That's how it keeps things lubricated. It displaces the water. And the 40, it means it was the 40th formula. So water displacement, 40th formula. You know what that means? There are 39 formulas that didn't cut it. So there, there are mistakes that were made. Again, that's just, you know, trial and error kind of thing. But it makes the point, though, that sometimes there's spoils in life that we can learn from. Hopefully we can learn from the examples of others who are further in their journey in life Instead of having to live those ourselves. But imagine how Peter was feeling here as he's realizing, yeah, I messed up in denying Jesus. Help me learn from it, God. You got to wonder if the other disciples are watching, saying, hey, help us to learn from that too because we, we don't want to go through this grilling that Jesus has given Peter. He'd been called by Jesus to a purpose, to be fishers of men, and he responded to that. He followed after Jesus, growing and becoming more like him, being known as one of his disciples, and then he denied Jesus three times, unwilling to risk being associated with him. Now Jesus is grilling him with this question, do you love me? But Jesus wasn't done with Peter yet. I absolutely love this beautiful resolution here. At the end of John 21, 19, and after saying this, he said to him, this is Jesus speaking, to Peter, follow me. Follow me. 
So he asked him three times, do you love me? All three times Peter responds, yes. And it brings this picture of the past and the present, uh, his, how he's grown and, and the purpose he had being called by God and then how he messed it up and spoiled the vessel. And all of a sudden Jesus says, follow me. You got to imagine those words were familiar to Peter as well. It's when Jesus first called him to follow me. In essence, you can see a lot in this, these two words, follow me. Jesus saying, Peter, I'm remaking you. You're still my disciple. There's still purpose in you. There's still things I want to do in and through you. Keep a soft heart. Keep yourself in the hands of the potter, and I will make you into a vessel, and you will do great things. And I can say this because we know how the story plays out. We, we jump in the book of Acts, which is, uh, is how the church grew uh, after Jesus ascended it back up into heaven. And we see a lot of Peter's story play out through the book of Acts. And he's sharing the gospel, and he's doing all kinds of amazing things, being an amazing disciple. He's been fully restored. Here's someone who was marred and spoiled the vessel God was making them into, and then they were remade. Find hope in knowing that God transforms and then reforms. We're not removed, but we are remade. And know that this process calls us to a changed life. Calls us to a changed life. If you want some extra read, I encourage you to read through Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 1 through 10. Um, we're not going to go through it here this morning, but it talks about how we should uh, fix our eyes on things above and then put to death the temptations of the world. In essence, it's taking off the old and, and putting on the new. If you think about fixing your eyes on the things above, it's kind of it's saying fix your eyes on eternal things, things that you can, can take with you into eternity. And really what that is is relationship with God and relationship with others. So, so fix your eyes on God, fix your, God, your eyes on others, and, and put to death worldly temptations. This is imagery of take off the old self and put on the new self. And it says, which is being recreated, renewed. I just love that because that paints this picture of this weird place we find ourselves in where we're this lump of clay that's being formed into a vessel but then still marred but then reformed. Is Well, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm forgiven. I'm a saint. Uh, I'm a child of God and yet I'm still making mistakes but God is reforming me. I'm being recreated, renewed as I'm already made new. Well, sometimes it doesn't always make sense but it's a beautiful truth. Sometimes this process, this is what I want to close with here this morning, um, yeah, I think we can walk away this morning and say, yeah, it's awesome. God's always going to remake me. And as long as I come to him with a repentant heart and a soft heart and, and I'm pliable in his hands, he's going to remake me. This is awesome. Let's go do it. But do you think Peter was enjoying this grilling of questions? That's just three questions from Jesus. But they were bold questions. Do you love me? Oh, well, yeah, of course I do. But yeah, no, I did not. I mean, all these things are probably going on in the back of his mind. Sometimes when we're being remade, it's not easy. It's like the clay that's getting kneaded over and over again. All the air is getting worked out. Sometimes it feels like discipline, and sometimes because it is discipline. Don't shy away from the discipline of God, but trust the hands of the potter. Hebrews 12, 11, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God's discipline is one that makes us right. It brings about righteousness in us. 
Um, again, if, if you're a parent or if you've had little ones that you've been in charge of, uh, imagine on your best day, you're in the best of moods, you've already polished off two cups of coffee and it's only seven o'clock in the morning and you're getting things done and you're just chipper and you're happy, nothing's going to get you down and one of your kids shows up and they just dropped the ball and they messed up in some big way and, and you respond with kindness, you respond with grace. Yes, you still call them to, you know, you messed up with this and we need to make this right and you lay out the punishment and all that, and you send them off to whatever that is to go do that, and you're fist pumping in your head like in the air, like, yes, I nailed that, super mom, super dad, awesome, job well done, kids disciplined, so well they come back to say, I'm sorry, mom, I'm sorry, dad, this is what I did wrong, here's all the ways I can make it right, can we go do those now? I mean, maybe you've had that moment, maybe you had something close to it, even just, think of your best moment of discipline. And maybe you've been on the other side where you were the kid receiving that. I don't know, but think of the, the, the most beautiful picture you've ever had in your life. That pales in comparison to the discipline we see from God. A perfect, loving Father, full of grace and peace. And so is it painful at times? Is it difficult at times? Yeah. Even if it produces exactly what we want it to produce, it might be a challenge. What, what, what might that look like? This is not all-encompassing, but one picture of what that might look like is this. Discipline calls us to obedience. Discipline calls us to respond to truth. Discipline calls us to accept responsibility for our actions, for our wrongdoing, confess our sin and repent of it. So one of the first steps of, of discipline I think, is repenting of our sin, accepting the responsibility of it. Something we do is... is um, Receive forgiveness. And to receive forgiveness, again, really the first step is to ask for forgiveness. And hopefully though, those we've wronged will offer it back. But really our responsibility is to ask for that forgiveness. And so sometimes part of that, 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 that discipline process is accepting responsibility, asking for forgiveness, and then making things right as best we can. Pursuing restoration as much as we are able to say, you know what, I don't want to take these steps, but I know this honors God. And to walk a path of, of obedience and restoration in, in the damage that we've done. So, Madeline, let us close this morning knowing this. No matter how we mar the vessel, no matter how we spoil what God was making us into, we repent of sin, return to him, Repent of our hard hearts. We can begin like a soft lump of clay, pliable in the hands of the potter, being remade back into something with purpose where God can work in and through us. That may not always feel fun or easy or enjoyable. Maybe some difficult steps to get to that road just as there's difficulty in getting to a finished vessel that can be used. But really, wherever we go, Let's be his witness to the work he's doing. That, 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 that's what I think Peter was left with. Follow me. We're, we're back to where we started, Peter. I called you to follow me. I still want you following me. So church, wherever we go, let's go and be a witness to Jesus. How are you going to engage with that call on your life to see lives changed and disciples made? Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you that you are the potter. We thank you that you are this loving father that embraces us, that puts his hands around us and, and molds us and shapes us. And even when we resist, even when we have a hardness of heart, uh, like clay with impurities or with air pockets, Father God, that you gently mold us into something you can use. And even if we spoil the whole thing, you can still reshape us. 
thank you that you don't give up on us. I thank you that you love us enough to, to walk us through a road of discipline. I thank you that that leads to a place of restoration and being made right. Father, help us to keep this kind of heart before you, one that's soft, one that pursues you, one that throws off the old and puts on the new each and every day, Father. For we are clay in your hands, and you are our potter. Amen.